0: Oh,
1: hey now. This is Aaron from No Simple Road. No Simple Road is part of the Osiris podcast family. We're a weekly podcast that brings you in depth and open, honest conversations with the musicians, artists, authors, and luminaries of the psychedelic jam band, improvisational music, and festival communities. We bring you inside the lives of the four of us that do this show myself, Melanie, Apple, and Ryder. We bring you onto the porch and what it's like to live inside the long, strange trip. So if you like to laugh, If you like to have fun, if you like to learn stuff, come hang out with the No Simple Road crew on the porch and listen to No Simple Road on the Osiris Podcast Network. David Goldstein. I am Brian Brinkman and I'm Mike Lawn Memo Minio. You are tuned into a very special episode of Beyond the Pond. Generally speaking, this is the podcast in which Brian and myself utilize the music of Fish as a means of getting a listener to listen to other bands because we love Fish. We are Fish fans. And sometimes the problem with Fish fans is they get a bit myopic. They focused far too much on their favorite band can recite back set lists and show notes and where they were right when fish played that version of sample in a jar then set them to the roof. And then when you mention other bands and they kind of look at you blankly, and we need to do something about that. And tonight we're doing something about that in a major way.:
2: Absolutely. We've been talking about this episode for feels like a year. We've been talking about this episode with Mike Lawn Memo Minio for about the same amount of time. We're going to be focusing tonight on one of our favorite bands, a band that has brought us together as friends, a band that we've featured here many times, and a band that if you don't love, well, we're just very sorry and we hope that this podcast will convince you to love them. That is Radiohead, one of the greatest rock bands of the last 25 years and a band that we are incredibly
1: excited to be deep-diving here this evening. And a new Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductee. Absolutely. Only two only two of the band members showed up. That's how cool they are.
2: <laughs> but they cared, <laughs> they cared more than Robert very, Smith. very
1: cool. Yes. <laughs> so, like Brian said, we've been looking forward to doing this episode a long time, and we know that Mike here... It kind of encourages us to do it because one of the few things he likes as much or more than fish is Radiohead. So he brings a good deal of expertise to this podcast. I know I've been listening to Radiohead since I first heard Creep in 1993. And so what we're going to do is much like uh, the U2 episode we do at Ryan Nichols a little bit of a ways back. We're going to go through each of the studio albums. I don't think we're going to cover uh, the live album. Might be wrong. We don't necessarily need to go into every one of the EPs, but we are certainly going to go in depth on their studio albums, of which I believe are ten. Is that correct?
2: Uh, I think so. That's correct. Ten. I'm looking at it right now.
3: Ten. Nine. (laughs) Nine. Nine. See, I'm already bringing. I'm already proving my worth. All right. Good. i me second guessing
1: myself. Excellent. The themes that you're going to hear us talk about in this episode consist of technology and music. How do you push pop music beyond the comfort zone in constant evolution? And on that note, let's get to some Radiohead. Mm-hmm.
2: guys so as we said at the top here we are joined our good friend mike lawn memo minio as we should note another member of the osiris podcast the osiris podcast network host of the daily soundcheck which you're all listening to correct and if you're not you should be right now uh well not right now after this episode ends of course but fantastic stuff there from mike um we'll be posting some stuff in the show notes but in terms of today's episode we are here to discuss the legacy of one of our favorite bands, Radiohead. And Mike, I'm going to pose this question to you. Why should you listen to Radiohead?
3: So for me, uh, especially as I've aged over the years, which they seem to be a lot of those years as I look back at how old I am here, uh As I get older, I really realize the reason that I love Fish so much is because they make me feel things that no other band ever has. And especially the jams and, you know, a song like Reba with a jam like that, it's the feeling of the music more than anything. There's a lot of great bands that have amazing guitarists and great drummers and, you know, incredible bass players. But Fish, when it puts it together, they give me this feeling inside that. It just, you know, it's just blissful and it's just everything that I search and escape from reality. And that's why I love Fish incredibly. Now, the same thing for me applies to Radiohead. They're another band that make me feel things that no other band does. And even maybe more impressive to me on the whole emotional spectrum, because Radiohead in one album can make me feel you know, melancholy and kind of thinking inward. And there's also songs that rock and I want to jump up and punch something and dance. And then there's songs that I just can't even friggin' figure out what is going on because there's so much, you know, there they have so much going on, sometimes even the same track, let alone the same album that for me, Radiohead hits on all those emotions. And that's really what music for me is about, is finding those emotions. And few bands to me do it better than Radiohead. Yeah, I
2: would agree with that and um you know I think one of the most interesting things about Radiohead and just why you should hear them is I I I feel like they're the most experimental and influential pop group that we have left. I mean they're equally capable like you said of producing these straightforward pop songs like Creep and Karma Police and True Love Waits and then these complete mind fucks like Kid A, Amnesiac and their songs don't just live in like a popular world. I mean, you know, they've they've released huge albums and huge singles and huge music videos. Um, everything in their songs, there's like this noise and ideas and, and evolutionary sounds that push rock music forward that are always lingering just below the surface experimentation that just helps to push the band forward, helps to push rock music forward. It's a really, really fascinating Quarter century uh, history, I guess thirty plus year history. When you take in um, everything going back to on a Friday,
1: I'm going to simplify things a bit and say, asking why should you listen to Radiohead is akin to asking why should you pet bunny rabbits or why should you eat pizza.
2: Point taken. Very well said. <laughs>
1: <laughs> because uh, that's what you do if you're not crazy, right? <laughs>
2: Yeah, and Radiohead, um, just from like a historical standpoint, um, you know, this is a band that formed in 1985, uh, eight years before their first album came out. Uh, they were named on a Friday, and they came up during a time when Shoegaze was on the rise in the Oxfordshire area that they came from in the UK. Sonically, they didn't really fit alongside groups like Ride or Slow Dive. In um, 1991 was a huge year for the band. Uh, chance meeting between Colin Greenwood and EMI rep Keith Wozencraft led somehow to a six-album deal, which feels like, you know, six generations ago in the, the music industry. Um, they changed their name to Radiohead, and um, I think that we would all agree. I mean, they they basically created some some sort of a genre. I don't know exactly what that is, but there's a Radiohead sound that's been created over the last 25 years since their first record came out. That, um, in a lot of cases, sounds unlike anything that's being played in uh, music today. But also, you know, it's you 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 can hear their influences kind of everywhere at the same time.
1: There was a lot of bands in the sort of late 90s and early 2000s in Britain that were kind of called the next Radioheads or fake Radioheads. Bands like Muse, uh, of course, Elbow, I guess Coldplay to some extent. I mean, sort of sweeping, melodramatic British bands that were kind of always aiming for the rafters. I mean, out of all those bands, I don't think any of them come close to Radiohead, but they kind of scratch the same itch in some sense.
3: I think um, you know another thing is we're going to kind of segue into here shortly is I think what many bands struggle with is trying to produce a new album and make it different. So it doesn't sound boring and just recycled, but yet have it feel like that's who they are. And I think U2 gets a ton of criticism for that, which is unwarranted in my opinion, but they do get a lot of criticism or Bruce Springsteen or stuff like that. But of all the bands, in my opinion, no band has been able to go from album to album with a completely different sound. Sometimes you can't even, it doesn't sound like it's the same band, but yet it still does. And I think that's what their success over longevity for me is is really incredible is how they're able to go from album to album sounding completely different, but it always still sounds like Radiohead and it feels like Radiohead.
2: Yeah. I think to that point, there's like two connected legacies I've always thought of with Radiohead that really cement them as one of the best bands of our time. And that's one is the value and promotion of technology and music in ways that ultimately improve their music while also having this comment on the culture at large, wherever we're at culturally at that point in time. And two, to your point, the fact that this importance of always evolving, always taking chances, and I think more than anything, always respecting your audience. Like they, they view their audience as having a very high intelligence, uh, which puts them in a position where they're able to take risks, take challenges, knowing that they have people who are going to follow them there, even if they lose some people in the short term, as we're going to talk about here when it comes to a couple of the, the uh, latter day albums.
3: Sounds kind of like how fish does with their audience almost. huh? Yeah. Yeah. How uh, how every fish fan should probably like radiohead. I don't know. (laughs) I don't understand it either. So I, um, I think as we, one other thing I wanted to hit on is, As far as, you know, we're talking about how things get different, I do kind of group Radiohead with having three different types of songs, and it's kind of some themes I wanted to lay out as we kind of go forward. And I think there's three basic types. So Radiohead has classic rock, and we're going to start when we get into the bends. you'll see a lot of that. There's a lot of guitar driven, and it just sounds like a band that you're used to, and you'd go see, and they really kick ass. But it's still maybe a little bit weird. It's classic rock for Radiohead almost. Then, once we kind of get into Kid A down the road, we have this whole new genre that was created, which is like this techno, epic, mindfuck kind of sound. And then there's this these ballads that are kind of ballad melancholy, which are some of their most beautiful pieces. So I think like you can take any album, go song by song, and you can kind of roughly push those songs into one of those three categories. But... I think to label, you know, Radiohead as one sound. I think they have those three sounds and just different kind of categories of that. So, I think that's like a cool way to think about the way Radiohead does their albums. And you know, as we get into it, you can kind of say, all right, it fits one of those three categories.
2: I definitely hear that. Should we uh, get into the chronological discographical journey through Radiohead, guys?
1: Absolutely. Let's do it. The It off here briefly talking about Radiohead's 1993 debut Pablo Honey aka
3: that one with Creep on it <laughs> it is the one with Creep on it the most famous song is on the worst album I think using the word worst
1: in this situation I mean yes Pablo Honey is the worst Radiohead album and yet I don't think it's as bad as its reputation and probably better than you Like, remember, I know I actually, in preparation for this podcast, listened to Pablo Honey for the first time in about six or seven years. And it's interesting to me is that I think it's the closest Radiohead ever came to sounding like Weezer. There's some really crunchy songs in here, like How Do You and the song Vegetable. It's almost like power pop. I think part of the problem with Pablo Honey is that these guys are still fairly young. They're in their early 20s. This is the only Radiohead record where Tom York's lyrics kind of end up sounding like sad boy diary entries like the song thinking about you, I can't, anyone can play guitar, like he has one song where he keeps saying I'd be better off dead, which, you know, obviously we know that's not true. But the one I mean the one song on Pablo Honey that kind of points the way forward ends up being the closer. Like the last song on the album is called Blowout. It's kind of a cool, melancholy ballad, and I believe it's E minor. And it's a cult favorite, and they justifiably, they broke the song out in Chicago last summer, and people really went crazy for it. I know I saw them in New York and was hoping to get it. We did not, but I think um, that's the best song on the record. But this is more of an early Britpop pop alternative grunge buzz band sound that as we'd come to find out, they kind of ended up shedding pretty quickly.
3: So just a couple things that I have. Um, The album title actually comes from a Jerky Boys prank call. And I know here on the pod, we're a little bit older than maybe some of our fans, but Jerky Boys was this, this prank call album that you would get they would make prank calls record it and they they heard one of this and that's where they got pablo honey from so that kind of tells you you know as dave said about where the band was in 1993 when pablo honey came out and you know they were they were young and i think that's a great way to describe it dave and to me it sounds like this alternative grunge style and it sounds like a crappy nirvana to me that i think there's a lot of similarities to weezer i hear that but it's it's like a crappy nirvana for me um It's not, you know, and it's, it's not the worst album, but you know, once you, you know, as we get into the next couple albums, you're going to see that it's a a step below. So, you know, and, and Dave put, he touched on the very last song, which is blowout and blowout is a good one has kind of the first steps to seeing where we're going to go to okay. Computer the next album. And it also establishes the first huge trend of radiohead albums, which is they have incredible closers to their albums so it's it that's a theme, and especially in the radiohead community, every closing track of every album is sacred, and a lot of those have been featured in TV recently and things like that and we'll get to that, but you know you know as Dave said, you know blowouts amazing, and that's the last song of Pablo Honey, so just want to make sure we're remembering that as we move forward,
2: yeah, I mean, I think for me the the radiohead story for me always starts with I heard creep in my cousin's bedroom in like nineteen ninety four and wondered why teenagers were so sad. I think I was nine years old at the time. And uh, I didn't fully listen to Pablo Honey in, in full until a couple of years later after I'd gotten an okay computer. Um, but whenever I hear Pablo Honey, uh, I guess for me, I hear a band that isn't fully there yet. They don't totally know who they are, but they have an idea about where they're going. And I think that that aspect of it speaks to the positives about this record. And I think the song Blowout really says a lot about this band you know for a lot of bands this is like the best record that they would ever make to have a song like creep on it is a huge accomplishment for a ton of artists um for a band like radiohead this and bands like radiohead in terms of their like um ambition and their abilities and and where they're going in their career you have to kind of have a a record like Pablo Huddy. It it almost reminds me of U2's Boy or October or Wilco's AM to draw parallels to the other two bands that we've done deep dives on, like this, Um, in the sense that you can hear Radiohead kind of lingering in there and kind of playing, messing around within the songs, but they're not yet all caps Radiohead at this point in time.
3: I think um, another interesting thing for me is creep is very important. And you talk about, and I think you just touched on it, you have a song that is that successful. I mean, they literally became huge overnight. It was on MTV all the time. I remember it distinctly. Yeah. And they blew up, and they were all over the place. And to be young, and you have this huge hit. I mean, a lot of bands, that's the pinnacle of their career. But for them being so right. young, it was the kind of this song, and it trapped them. The subsequent tours, it creeped, became a huge boiling point for the band. They hated it after a while because they you know we go to these song, you know all these classic rock bands like you know the stones and all these songs you want to hear all these songs that they're famous for and they have to play these songs and that's what happened to radiohead in their early 20s they had to play creep at every song at every show because that's what everybody came to hear and it trapped them and there's so much brilliance that we'll get to you know hidden down and i think it was actually a very important thing for them to, to experience that to have to be like all right we- this is I hate this. And they got upset about it. The band almost broke up. And what it did is it it fueled their creative fire. And I think that's an important thing that to happen to them is to have all the success to hate it. And then they almost, they played creep for They didn't play it forever. I mean, 20 years or something like that. You know, it was just, they hated that song. They appreciated it. It made them famous and gave them a license to make the albums we're going to talk about, but it was a very, you know, source of pain for them. And I think what it did is just make them creative and light that fire. So I think it's important to talk about what creep did to the band, even though even though this album falls a little flat.
2: I agree. Should we uh, listen to Blowout off of this, guys? Yes. As we were describing in segment one, when we were talking about Pablo Honey. Um, Radiohead puts out this album with, it's a little bit uneven, kind of similar to what you were hearing with second tier grunge bands. They have this one amazing single, some great songs underneath it, but um, everybody wants to hear Creep. And they go on tour and it leads to almost nervous breakdowns, a band uh, discussing the idea of breaking up, and they go into the studio and they record this record that stands on its own and also serves as a bridge to where the band was going. And I would say is an infin- infinitely better album than Pablo Honey, but also a record that doesn't exactly give us where we're going with Radiohead, but still is a record that you essentially have to hear. And that is The Bends, which came out in 1995. Um, it's an incredible bridge between Pablo Honey and OK Computer. It's a record that was produced by John Leckie, who was a British super producer, also known for um, producing the Stone Roses, uh, their first album, The Verve's *A Storm in Heaven*, and later *My Morning Jacket's* *Z*. This is also where Radiohead is introduced to Neil godrich who would engineer a handful of tracks on the album before essentially taking the reins of radiohead's production career or production uh work throughout the remainder of their career to this point um the lyrics here they reflect a very difficult time for york Uh, he was depressed pours his soul out on parts of this album you can start to hear his voice take shape but at the same time and really importantly you hear him develop lyrically to focus on larger world-aware themes. Songs like Fake Plastic Trees, a song that melodically could appear to be a follow-up to Creep, but is in actuality much closer to OK Computer than anything off of Popable Honey. Um, this is a really great record. What are your guys' thoughts on this?
1: It's funny. I'm actually old enough to remember that critics, they didn't necessarily fawn over the bends when it was first released. Like Rolling Stone gave it only three and a half stars, Spin Magazine had a pretty funny review where I think they gave it like a 5 out of 10 and it said that the song Just, the second single, Swipe Chords from Weird Al Yankovic, uh, Smells Like Nirvana, which it actually kind of does. But I think at that point there was kind of like a mid-90s skepticism of MTV buzz bands, like second album, and of course Radiohead were coming off Creep. A lot of people wanted to call them a one-hit wonder. And actually, like a bad review in Spin and Rolling Stone back in the mid '90s, could actually do you some damage. This was uh, before Pitchfork, before blogs. But I think now, in retrospect, everybody sees The Bends for what it is, which is an epic leap beyond the first album. I don't think it's Radiohead's best album, but it might be my favorite album. Just because it's one of those albums you can put on at any time and just about enhance any situation that you can think of, and um, it's funny for me. I'll just give a quick anecdote. Other than uh, the song "Fake Plastic Trees," which was the first single, which was in relatively heavy rotation on uh, on MTV, I didn't hear any of these songs until I actually saw Radiohead open for REM in 1995. Pretty good bill of that. I remember that's when I heard the song Lucky for the first time, which uh, wouldn't be out the next record. I didn't even know what it was called. I remember being impressed. And then when I heard the song, The Benz, for the first time, which um, Tom York had like a brief intro, talked about the R.E.M. crew, and he said, this one's called The Benz. And then they hit that gigantic D major chord to kick it off. I got goosebumps.
3: And I said, oh, these guys have a future.
0: <laughs>
3: so when for me this is where you start the Radiohead journey. So if you're trying to get into Radiohead and I I tweeted this earlier, for me I've gotten some people into Radiohead which I feel like is an epic accomplishment. I tell people to start right here. Just put on the bends, Planet Telex comes on, hit play and listen to the whole album because this album is the first trend of that you listen to Radiohead's from Radiohead albums from start to finish. They are put together with a lot of thought and they are cut that way and they are the full album effect. It kind of harkens back to some of the great albums of the 70s that really were these, you know, huge epic albums that you know Radiohead has those and you need to put it on and you need to experience the whole thing one at a time. Once you've done that then you can go play your favorite tracks but you have to get the whole vibe of the album and as we talked about with Pablo Honey and the ending track being so important i think the this, this is the Elmore it also establishes the first track and Planet Telex we're going to play kicks it off and you hear immediately the minute you hit play on Planet Telex the difference in the sound from the bends to Pablo Honey and that's going to be a you know a thing that continues as we move forward and it's just a, a whole bigger sound there's more to it it sounds way different than Pablo Honey and you know, I think it sounds as, like
1: money. It sounds like someone yeah. gave him a whole lot of money and put him with this <sighs> awesome producer mm-hmm. and said, "Okay, what fucking playtime's over, do it."
3: Yeah, and that's the producer. And he, as much as Carota might be the the other important member to Fish, Nigel Godrich is the guy for Radiohead. He's done every sub- subsequent album since this one. There's a little history in between there, but he did every album, and he's the man. He knows what to do with Radiohead. So, I mean, this album is awesome. I'm, I'm with you from start to finish. I, it's just incredible. And it's, it's easily accessible. This is a band that you would go see. This is a band that, you know, if they were playing down the street, you could be like, hey, everybody, let's go check these guys out. They rock. They're pretty awesome. They rock rocking guitar and it's cool. And you can get everybody to go. And I think that's when you're coming in from the outside world to check out Radiohead, this is a great way to do it because it's accessible. But you'll start to it does, you know, as Brian said, it bridges the gap as to where we're going. And that's why I think it's also an incredible album. Uh, Rolling Stone did their top 500 album reviews, and this was the second Radiohead album that they had listed as the 111th best album of all time so you know it's it's got a lot of critical acclaim from rolling stone since that uh davis you said five out of ten or eight and a half out of ten or whatever you said to start it's changed in retrospect and the thing about that is is i think very important is radiohead seems to know what we all want to hear before we want to hear it and i think that's another important you know point to why they're so amazing when you say what we want to hear
1: Certainly, songs for the bends. usually when you hear the, the live shows now, they're usually like set closers or the encores because those are the songs that people want to hear. They'll wait till the end of the show to hear it. They want to put their arm around their best buddy and sing the bends.
2: I would say as well, like to both of your, your points here and kind of the overall enduring legacy of the album is if you're a Radiohead fan in pretty much any faction, you know every song in this album and i remember like i heard this album you know handful of times when i was uh, a kid when i was in middle school around the time the album came out and then for whatever reason I, I never bought it and so i never really listened to it in full until i bought a physical copy in 2008 it was the first time i'd bought this actual album i'd always heard it from like friends or something and i remember putting it on for the first time and probably listening to it for the first time in 10 or 12 years And literally every single song, even songs I had forgotten the titles of, I knew one after another. And it instantly feels like a familiar album in ways that I don't really think many other Radiohead albums do. Um, A lot of Radiohead albums are very personal listens. This I would um, connect along with In Rainbows, which we'll get to a little bit later, as like The best albums you could put on for Radiohead when you're like drinking beers and hanging out with buddies or when you're on a road trip, it just, it feels like a rock record more than any Radiohead album, uh, any other Radiohead album does.
1: I would say just to close out in the bends, it also becomes evident at this time, we're not going to go into all of the B-sides, but like a lot of British bands that come of age in the 90s, like the Charlatans, like Blur. Like Pavement, who I realize aren't British, but for purposes of this discussion, all these bands are really, really good at B sides. And Radiohead, they would put out singles, and these singles would often have up to two to three different B sides that happen to be as good as the actual tracks on their album. And I think for the purposes of this album, The Bends, make sure to seek out the song Maculadora and the hexadecimal remix of Planet Telex both originally on the B-side to the single High and Dry and all easily available to find on Spotify. I know certainly Spotify can be a necessary evil, but holy shit, is it good for seeking out weird archival stuff like all the Radiohead B-sides?
3: Their B-sides are easily better than most bands' entire collection. They have incredible yes. B-sides. Great point. So I think in terms of the bends. What song we
1: say we were going to play? Planetelix, right? Yeah, I'm in for that. Planetelix, give them the opener, man. All right, listen to some Telex.
3: So we are on. The guys are pretty good over here, and they're gonna let me cover my favorite Radiohead album of all time. And it's the third album, and it's OK Computer, released in 1997. So OK Computer is, as I would best say it, "Welcome to the Revolution." It is, in my opinion, one of the most important and influential and different albums, you know, as opposed to where it was released than it in history. It is completely different from the bends, and it really is just a rocket ship into the new sound that Radiohead would create. And, but the reason why it is my favorite is because even though it does do that, it still does have a little bit of the guitar feel and the classic rock sensibility that Radiohead does have. But it infused this entirely different sound, which I would kind of say is a whole new genre of music. And it's kind of partly right in the title of the album. It has this computer kind of driven technological sound to it. It's almost like alternative computer epic prog rock. And I've heard it called atmospheric rock. But why this album is just, you know, something for me is it has all the moods all the feelings, all the emotions wrapped up into one album and track by track, they are perfectly laid out. It is an album from start to finish that you will fall in love with. If you give it the time and the space it needs to breathe and you will love all those songs individually as much as you love them collectively as an album, which I think is maybe its biggest strength. We'll talk a little bit about that in some of the other albums. I can play seven or eight songs from this album immediately when I'm ready to rock out and throw them on and just play one, but you play it all as an album and it's all over the place. Uh, I mean, these songs, you know, they're important to know they're all loved live, you know, and Paranoid Android is really the quintessential song that does all that in one. And it, you know, again, we we talked a little bit about how openers, uh, you know, kick things off and signal what the Radiohead album is going to sound like. And Airbag does that, I mean, just doom, 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 and it's just this hard guitar, these crazy sounds, and it's just a whole new journey for you to explore. And the, the thing about this album is really Ni- Nigel Godrich, this is like the beginning of his opus of albums. The sound is incredible. I bought brand new headphones the other day. Uh, They're beautiful. They were expensive, open back, and I heard things that I've never even heard, and I've always had great audio equipment. I mean, the sound and production quality of OK Computer is through the roof. So, I mean, I have such feelings for this album. I'll let you guys chime in. I could talk for about an hour just on OK Computer, but I want to hear what you guys have to say.
2: I have... Distinct memories of seeing the Paranoid Android video on MTV late one night in seventh grade and wondering what the fuck was going on. Uh, It kind of creeped me out. Um, I remember hearing Karma Police regularly on the alternative rock station when I was growing up, Q101 and loving it and then finally buying OK Computer and thinking for the first time since I got into Fish that there was a band speaking directly to me. Um, I probably listened to this record over a hundred times between 1997 and 2003. Um, It was in my regular rotation for an extended period in time. And if I ever sat down and decided to do a top albums of all time, which Dave, I think we should probably do that at some point, maybe episode 100. um, This would definitely be in my top 10. I want to say it's to your point, Mike, it's one of those records Similar to a lot of Radiohead records that we're going to talk about um, going uh, going forward, I have to listen to it uh, start to finish. Um, side B to me is complete perfection. Uh, the second that "Fitter Happier" ends and electra- uh, electioneering begins, I am just like taken completely by the sound within the record, climbing up walls. The Tourist, Lucky. I mean, there's just so many great, great songs on that back half of the album, which was what ultimately sold me on how remarkable of a record it was. You know, the front half is a lot of singles. The back half is a lot of um, just really cool experimentations and you hear little bits and pieces of the way the band is going, um, but it also all feels super
1: connected. This Radiohead album is, as they say, the click, the <laughs> click. As in, that's where everything comes together. You listen to it and you say, okay, this is one of the best bands of our generation. They have figured it out. This is their opus. And where are they going to go from here? As Mike uh, had mentioned earlier, this is certainly the album where Nigel Godrich became Nigel Godrich. (laughs) He would apply this sort of sound wizardry to Beck. I know he produced Beck's Mutations and Sea Change. He also produced Pavement's Terror Twilight, which made them almost as close as Pavement ever came to sounding like Radiohead. I remember also the Spin Magazine review of this album, because I read Spin a whole lot in the mid-90s, like most kids from the suburbs who liked alternative rock. They gave this album an 8 out of 10 with the tagline, this is a do-it-yourself electronica record that just happens to be made with guitars, which kind of makes sense when you think about it. I know it came out in July of 1997. I don't actually think I bought it until right before my freshman year of college in August. I had about three or four chips to the record store, listening in the booth those gigantic headphones where I just finally decided to take the plunge. This album has no bad songs. I mean, even now in 2019, I think the only song the band is guaranteed not to play in any given night is electioneering, which I don't think they ever played that much to begin with. And as I had uh, previously stated, I think my favorite song on the album, one of my favorite Radiohead songs of all time, could be the penultimate track, Being Lucky, which I was enraptured with when I first heard them play it uh, with R.E.M. back in 1995. That song has also been covered a lot by other artists. I know at the Tibetan Freedom Concert in 1998, Michael Stipe sings Lucky, and I think Tom York repays the favor by singing uh, the R.E.M. song Be Mine. And uh, even somebody who will be very familiar to listeners of our podcast being Warren Haynes does a, a solo acoustic guitar version of Lucky, that's extremely good. And I think for me, the last thing I'll just say about okay computer in terms of the production, the level of detail is staggering. There's the one single bell that concludes the last song to the tourist. There's four beats linking airbag with paranoid Android. I mean, nothing is overlooked and yet nothing feels forced. It's just like you're at a museum staring at a beautiful painting for 45 minutes.
0: <laughs>
3: Love that. That's well said. Uh, I will kind of go back to, what we were talking about with creep. And I think that this is certainly the result of that, the, you know, they making all this stuff that, and even the guitar on, you know, work that kind of does the bends and really is the, the signature kind of sound to the bends. They, they were told by BM or EMI at the time, their the record label to basically, you know, if you just make the bends, they sold like 8 million copies of the bends or something like that worldwide. If you do that, you're going to sell 15 million and this is where i think you know us kind of cool we try to be cool we're nerds but we're cool you know cool nerds we're like all right but they stuck it to them they went in. they just did something completely different they could have made the bends another guitar rock album and they would have been well thought of and well loved but they as musicians and artists said screw that we're doing something completely different and when EMI got this, they lowered all the sales estimates for the record. They thought it was That's weird. Right. They thought it sucked and they were very scared to release it. And you know, very shortly, once everybody started to get into it and critics came around to it, this album picked up momentum. And just like I kind of saying, like Radiohead kind of knew what people wanted to hear before they heard it. It wasn't this success. Their producer, they're, you know, their album company didn't like it. But give it time, let it breathe, think about it, listen to it. And then you're like, holy freaking shit, this album is unbelievable. You know, it's it's weird for me to think about that now because it's always been like the quintessential radio Radiohead album for me. Um and and god i I just love this freaking album uh it just has those feelings uh great videos you know this again this is 97 and this is important videos were important to the music scene uh no surprises is a really cool video to check out you know it's got it all and you know this um the tourist closing this album is easily one of my favorite songs so this is a, a very interesting and this Tom really is starting to, Tom York is the lead singer. We should probably kind of mention some of that a little bit. He the tourist is about, he was sitting in this area in London and just kind of looking around and seeing all these people passing by. And he just kind of wrote that into a song where the, he's starting to really look at the world and think about, you know, p- you know, political themes, social themes. And this is where he starts to get his voice of bigger things going on in life not just him and self-loathing and all the things wrong he's looking at the world and his lyrics will really start to push that as we go forward also just want to say um, at this point in the late
1: 90s the phrase okay computer kind of became shorthand for bands that are trying to make their own opus their own heavily produced opus oh they're making their okay computer like yankee hotel foxtrot that's Wilco's OK Computer. The Soft Bulletin, that's the Flaming Lips' OK Computer. Um, Mercury Revs, Deserter Songs, kind of in that vein.
2: I think that the thing that makes this record so remarkable is the fact that there is some semblance of the familiarity to this band from the Bends, but you hear them poking and prodding around inside of their own heads for what comes next. And, um, you know, it, 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 it to me is... Like Kid A is the is the total departure. This is in some cases more exciting because you hear them just starting to hint towards that sound that they were going towards and just starting to hint towards how experimental they were going to push their music, how seriously they were going to take their music. And you know, I think it's 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 interesting, you know, within this record you really hear the band. Start to experiment with recording space and time. And two songs in particular, uh, "Exit Music," was recorded in a stairwell so they could achieve natural reverberation within the song. And then "Let Down" was recorded on purpose at three o'clock in the morning because they wanted to get Tom's voice at that part of the night when they was singing that song. And you know, this is an aspect of recording that you're going to hear especially in their next two records. Um, where the band is really trying to incorporate, you know, this very classic rock romanticism type of approach where you have to record a certain song at a certain hour of the day or in a certain mood or in a certain space where you can really get this sonic quality that comes across on tape and it would not sound the same way if you were recording it at 2 o'clock in the afternoon in a normal
1: studio. Well,
3: us listen to some music off of it. I think we got to play Paranoid Android. it. It is one of the best representations of all of things that our radio had. computer hits, everything is being copied. Radiohead's famous, critically acclaimed. What do they do? They flip things on their head like nothing has ever been flipped before. Kid A coming out as the fourth album in the Radiohead chronological. It comes in in the year 2000, which if you were a little bit younger, was kind of a crazy year with Y2K and all this things that computers were really picking up and everybody thought everything was going to Eat us alive and become AI, and all this crazy stuff is going to happen. So, the timing is very important for this album, you know, coming out in 2000 as well. And Kid A is just completely different from Radiohead, where, you know, OK Computer certainly was a jump. You still had some guitar and you still felt like it was Radiohead and a continuation of the Bends. Kid A came out and it was a different band. Electronic and techno dominate this. And Johnny Greenwood, the amazing guitarist of Radiohead, he, he barely plays guitar in some tracks. He, they invented sounds. And all this space and synthesizers and computer programming all comes through in this album that when it hit, people had no friggin' idea what to do with it. They're like, what is this? I don't even understand what's going on. I don't know if I like it. It's weird. It doesn't sound like Radiohead. But give it a couple listens, give it a really soak it in. And Kid A, if you're a Radiohead fan, this is the Empire Strikes Back. This is what the true fans, this is the greatest album. And if you're a giant Radiohead geek, everyone will start with Kid A. This is really their opus. As much as I love OK Computer, Kid A is the opus. It is because of where they took that leap to go into something completely different that it was unlike anything around at the time. Kid A is is it and you know I still love it for this day This is another album where you really From start to finish it is something You need to listen to and soak in And the track to track listing The way they segue Into songs and the way they There's this techno rock Weird rhythm and then all of a sudden there's like a ballad And then there's a rocker It just has another one of those Start to finish all the emotions Coming through Kid A is a friggin' masterpiece. I know you guys feel the same, so I'll let you chime in. I think this is probably the most anticipated album release in my lifetime.
1: Cause this came out October third two thousand. This is back when labels weren't in the habit of releasing like three quarters of an album to streaming services before the release date. And the label actually went to great pains to keep the album from being leaked. I know I don't think Napster became a huge problem until 2001. I remember that there was a listening party in which listeners received a Walkman with the album that was super glued shut. There was also a listening party at the Museum of Natural History where you got to hear the album soundtrack, like uh, videos of aquatic life. And I'd say for me, uh, the song kind of side B, optimistic to the very end it's probably Radiohead's like slickest 25 or so minutes in terms of segues and listenability. You just put it on and that thing plays itself. Also, I think the whole thing about no guitars was a bit overblown because I think there's actually, especially inside B, there's a lot of guitars they are just employed in less than traditional ways. They don't really take any solos. But like a song like Optimistic... In Limbo, Morning Bell, I mean, Johnny Greenwood and Ed O'Brien, the two guitarists, they really are uh, all over those two songs. And I think there's a good argument to be made for uh, the song Idiotique on Side B as kind of being the single best Radiohead song.
3: Maybe not my favorite, but. It is definitely regarded yeah. that way. It is not nearly my favorite. No. Um, I am very much for being a diehard radio ad. It is nowhere near mine, but it, it is the quintessential as YEM would be yes. for Fish. It is. It is for Radiohead, 100%. I think they've played it almost every single show since it did debut.
1: It's always the big second half, you know, light show, like showcase of a Radiohead concert. Really jittery, really beat intensive, really paranoid. Sums up like Kid A. In a nutshell,
3: that, that song came from I'm not sure if, you know, the song came from a 52 minute Johnny Greenwood jam, basically. And I didn't know. Yes. That, no. So he he found that he just was messing around and he took this little four second clip that basically is on repeat through the whole song. So, you know, just kind of give you where this song came from. Johnny Greenwood, the guitarist again.
2: Um, you know, the interesting thing about this album. I mean, in reality, this is not like the most revolutionary rock album ever made. It was just a further example to me of what Radiohead, inherently this massive pop band could accomplish by commenting on music that's slightly obscure and underground for a larger audience. Um, and like to your point, Mike, you had said something earlier about how people just had no idea what to do with this record. Um, there's tapes of them playing this material live for the first time in Berlin and in the UK in the months leading up to its, its release. And every time it's it's like a Radiohead show with a bunch of OK Computer and Ben songs and songs off Pablo Honey, but every time they play a Kid A song, the audience is just completely silent. And I think it's like a level of shock at the direction that Radiohead decided to um, uh, push themselves in. And you, know, I would say, if you're going to make a fish comparison, this is equivalent to their Summer '95 tour or their '97 reinvention. Um, in that it deliberately challenges norms and it challenges the band's audience. And that in turn makes everyone better listeners and everyone better altogether uh, from a music standpoint, from a listening standpoint, from a cultural standpoint. This record also gave the band full creative control, which allowed them to release a record like Amnesiac, which for a lot of bands would be B-sides. It also allowed them to release a pay what you want record. And later, almost 20 years later, make a orchestral-based record 20 years into their career. Um, This is, from a personal standpoint, this is my favorite Radiohead record. It does successfully what I love when artists do, which is to take their sound, turn it on its head, and see whatever the fuck comes from it. And this reminds me in a lot of ways of U2 Octoon Baby, which is the most important album I've ever heard in my entire life because it changed the way I listen to music and look at music. Um, I think that this is the peak of what Radiohead could accomplish creatively. Um, Everything since Kid A has essentially been a comment on or a reaction to Kid A, Um, and this is definitely one of my top five albums of all time, and I will forever remember where I was. Uh, the, The one Baker's Dozen show that I did not stream live or attend was uh lemon night (laughs) i was at one of dave's and my favorite restaurants of all time the butcher and Bee in nashville sitting at the bar eating some food way more food than i knew what to do with and my phone started exploding i looked down and i saw live fish or uh, fish from the road everything in its right place and i lost it and i was so excited and um yeah, so amazing, amazing record. What a step forward for this band and um, what a just fascinating picture into what a popular rock band can do if they're provided with a, a massive budget, time, and just full creative control. It's, it's really inspiring. Just from an influence standpoint, because I think it's important to note that we featured a lot of these bands, um, the crowd Rock Style, Aphex Twin, the band can, especially the idea of jamming in the studio, was a huge, huge thing for them. Uh, Charles Mingus, Underworld, Scott Walker, Talk Talk, Spirit of Eden, the beta band, and really importantly, from a lyrical standpoint, Talking Heads Remain in Light are all cited as influences for Kid A. We've talked about all of the or 90% of those artists or albums on this podcast. We know that many fish fans are are into this type of music. If you like this at all, so much of this amalgamated in the idea of Kid A and in the genesis of Kid A. Listen to this record if you haven't. Um, On that note, what song are we playing off of it? Are we playing everything in its right place? Gotta. All right, so what happens when you put out the biggest record of your career? Well, you turn that on its head and make a follow-up album that sounds absolutely nothing like that, and in turn becomes perhaps the most influential album of the last 20 years. And when you record said album, you probably are on a creative high and you record a lot of songs, and a lot of quality songs, and you play these songs a lot. But when it comes time to sequencing an album and mixing it down, you have a lot of these songs left over because maybe they just don't fit the thematic arc of the masterpiece that you're putting out. Maybe they're as good as some of the songs on that. Maybe they're even better than some of the songs on it, but it just doesn't fit the sequencing and the overall style that you're going for there. So if you're a band who is in this position and you are also a band that has full creative control and can basically release wherever the hell you want, knowing you are going to guarantee bank from your record label, you just put out another album like 10 months later. And this was a position that Radiohead found themselves in in 2000 and 2001 when they released Kid A in the fall of 2000 and followed it up in the summer of 2001 with a record that is a little bit more eerie, somewhat more paranoid, somewhat, somewhat of a return to the more organic uh, guitar-based music that the band had been playing, but equally influential in a lot of ways in its weirdness and in its paranoia of where the world was in the early 20th century, and that's Amnesiac. Um, for me, there was a good per- period between spring 2001 and fall 2002 where Kid A and Amnesiac were the only two records I'd play instead of fish. Uh, Both of them spoke directly to where I was at and what I was looking for in music, pushed my own head into the kind of musical space I wanted to be in. And at times, Amnesiac was my favorite record of the two. Um, And in many ways, this record has influenced me to keep going, even when I'm outside of my own listening comfort zones, more than almost any other. Um, I have a real soft spot for this record. What do you guys think about it?
1: It's a very good record. It's actually... When Amnesiac came out, there was a time I thought I might have enjoyed that more than Kid A as well. That has since dissipated. Now I think Kid A is absolutely the superior record. But Amnesiac's got some um, very key Radiohead songs. Of course, it has Pyramid Song, which is the gorgeous haunting piano ballad. That's the second song on the album. You and Whose Army, also an excellent Eerie building piano ballad. I might be wrong, kind of like jittery rock. But um, what's interesting, it also has pull yeah, pulk revolving doors packed like sardines into a crushed tin box, both of which are very jittery, Apex twin sounding uh, like techno laptop songs. And what's cool is that they were actually able to make those very interesting live. Like you listen to My Amnesiac and you say, I don't know how this is going to translate to a stage, but I actually saw them, Radiohead in August of 2001 at Liberty State Park in New Jersey. I think they played both of those songs, and between Tom York's gyrating on stage, and the rest of the band not playing guitars, and the accompanying light show, like they really did a very good job of almost making like stadium like IDM, which in the early 2000s, they had kind of like a genre called IDM Intelligent Dance Music, which sort of summed up uh, this kind of radiohead, uh, like Fortet, um, I guess Caribou, who at the time were called Manitoba before they had to change their name. Just anything sort of like laptop jockey music. And then you also got Life in a Glass House, awesome album closer, which is this New Orleans-style brass band dirge. So, well, you know, that doesn't have the whole um, doesn't hold together continuity segue fest of Kid A. It's still very high quality songs.
3: So, you know, it's it definitely is uh, Brian touched. You, you have to view Amnesiac with Kid A because they were recorded at the same time. They originally wanted to put them out as a double album, but they kind of went with the fact of brevity and the fact that once they got the track list right in Kid A, that was, you know, a perfect album. So you can, you can hear, you know, especially on some of the songs that, you know, Dave just mentioned, you can hear some of Kid A here, but this is definitely different. And as I laid out kind of three themes that I I think Radiohead is with this classic rock, which is like Knives Out, and then there's the ballad, which is Pyramid Song, and then there's these crazy, you know, Mindfuck Radiohead with Life is a Glass House and stuff like that. This album to me has all of the sounds of Radiohead in a nice brevity of 11 songs. And it's a little bit more disjointed for me um, than the other albums we talked about. The Bends, OK Computer and Kid A, track to track, hit play, unbelievable. I love all these songs on this album, but it doesn't work in the same way for me. It doesn't have that full, holy fuck, that album is perfect. I love it. It's amazing and the highs are unbelievable. And kind of one thing that's really interesting, if you don't know much about Radiohead, is there's a song on Kid A called Morning Bell. And it's this unbelievable song that I know the other two guys love as well. And it's rocking. Well, there's also a completely different cut on an Amnesiac of Morning Bell, which is called Morning Bell Amnesiac. And it's a different complete take on the same exact song, which is really cool to hear a band play the same song twice. And it feels like a completely separate song. One of my favorite kind of things in Radiohead. Uh, Again, you know, the closer here, Life in a Glass House is unbelievable. And um, I guess this might be a good point to mention um, at this time is recently some of my favorite shows have featured Radiohead and Westworld especially has a ton of Radiohead and Life is a Glass House is used incredible in that. Uh, And then I just thought I'd throw that in there. This album was 320 on the Rolling Stone list. I missed Kid A, which was 67, the highest. And I'll tell you, go look at the 66 albums ahead of that on Rolling Stone. And it's basically like the Beatles, Led Zeppelin, like the classics of the classics. So if you don't think that Kid A, just from our telling you how good it is, I mean, it's basically all time classic albums. And then Kid A is kind of the next one. So but Amnesty makes the list at 320, another, you know, fantastic album. I think the highs in this album are incredible. Knives Out is one of my all time favorites pyramid song i think maybe after idiotac is probably maybe the second like radiohead song among radiohead geeks like is the song and it's 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 very haunting and unbelievable and you can play that and you want to talk about a song that that puts the emotions in you i that song for me like i want to like think about all the things i need to do for the day think about my my grandfather how awesome he was and cry all at the same time like that song just pours emotion into me. So, you know, I have I have a lot of love for this album. It ranks a little bit lower for me, but I mean, it's friggin' awesome. It's another you know somebody recently kicked off the whole Twitter fish and Radiohead thing with you know name three albums better than OK Computer, Kid A, and Amnesiac in a row, and that kind of incited this huge thing on Twitter here. So, um, you know, this is kind of, it fits right in. It's just, I have different tastes for this, but if you tell me Amnesiac is your favorite album, I'll look at you and be like, you're pretty cool. You kind of know what's going on. I kind of like where you're at, man. Um, It's just not not my favorite. Um, One of my favorite quotes ever is, Pitchfork found that Amnesiac is about as close to the Benz as Miss Cleo is is to Jamaican. <laughs> so you know to kind of see, show you where the, the band has gone from where we were at Benz.
1: Also, where Pitchfork is gone, right. I would not fly a Pitchfork in twenty nineteen, but in the Brent Crescenzo era, stuff like that was awesome and funny.
2: <laughs> I think I think to that point in terms of how far astray they are at this point from the Benz is I think of this record almost as uh, equally reassuring for fans in that it returns to more guitar-driven rock at times. You know, I Might Be Wrong, Knives Out. um, I mean, even think about, like, the guitar line in Hunting Bears. Um, It also, well, it it doesn't showcase the band going fully into this, like, digital uh, musical realm. Um, But it also presents, and I think this is to your point, Mike, of the disjointed nature of it, it's it's kind of a further challenge. Um, they're clearly in their own heads at this point in time creating tons of music and trying to figure out what the right next step is um, but also just letting everything come out um, and they're also searching to see how far astray they can go, how far fans will follow them and creatively as a band where they can take this whole project and as we'll notice on the next two records, they rein things in a little bit while refining their sound. Um, you know, this is kind of the messier of the two albums, and I like that about it. Um, I also think that it represents, in a lot of ways, kind of the end of the line of where Radiohead was going with this type of sonic experimentation. Um, yeah for for at least a bit of time. So. Should we listen to a pyramid song off this? Let's jump in the river and see what
1: we see. the Thief. So this album, to me, it's unquestionably good. However, I think this is the first Radiohead album that kind of starts to sound like Radiohead TM. Which is to say, doesn't really break in a new ground for them. Kind of hits the familiar Radiohead beats. While there's lots and lots of good songs on this album, I think it suffers a tiny bit from not being quite as fresh. Certainly, the Good Stuff outnumbers the duds. 2 plus 2 equals 5 is an amazing opening track and a statement of purpose. There There, a fan favorite that I think Tom York has said that's the single best Radiohead song. Album closer, of course, A Wolf at the Door, kind of like the closest Tom York gets to rapping and yet somehow totally awesome. But this is the first Radiohead album to the where there's absolutely some filler. Like, there's a song called Where I End and You Begin, which just sounds like you 2 sound alike. We Stuck Young Blood, boring, boring New Orleans-style dirge. And while plenty of Radiohead fans claim to love the song Mixomatosis, I think the band loves it too based on its constant placement in set lists. I'm not one of them. I can kind of do without that song at this point. I love it, okay. but go ahead. I know that I think Tom York has been quoted as saying that the Hell the Thief lyrics were influenced by the, quote, general sense of ignorance and intolerance and panic and stupidity following the 2000 election of U.S. President George W. Bush. Well, let's just say that everything old is new again. But having, um, I saw Radiohead a few times, I guess I saw them three times in 2003 because they toured pretty heavily behind Hell the Thief. And... Often, There There was, um, I think, on the first leg of the summer tour, that was the opener. And just to see the band come out with the two guitarists, John and Green and Ed O'Brien, that weren't playing guitars, they were situated on each corner of the stage, banging on these timpani drums. It was just awesome. It was a fantastic way to open up a show. But yeah, this is, it's a good album, it definitely, it's got some good rock songs. If I just want a Radiohead fix. I'll go right away to There, There or a song like Go to Sleep, 2 plus 2 equals 5. There's some excellent shots of adrenaline, but it's not as consistent top to bottom as their past three albums were. So there are probably five albums
2: that I've anticipated more than this record in my life. At the time, there were three bands I really cared about, Fish, Wilco, and Radiohead, And as I said earlier, I'd been listening to Kid A and Amnesiac and OK Computer nonstop for about two and a half years at this point in time. Um, This record was a big lesson for me. I learned with this record to temper expectations until you hear a final product. Because upon releasing uh, or upon it being released, I was not super into it. I did not like this record nearly as much as I expected to. Um, And it basically diverted me from being a Radiohead fanatic for a few years. I think part of it is to what your point is, Dave, it's a messy album. There's a lot of different ideas. Um, it's clear that they're trying to take this computerized, digitized type of sound that they found for Kid A, Amnesiac, and connect it back to the guitar approach from the Bends. A lot of the tracks are recorded live. Um, and so where I kind of wanted and expected the band to continue going in this really kind of twisted digital realm, um, we got more of a rock record. And so it took me a lot of time. Um, And in recent years, I've really come around to it, and now I truly do love it. Um, I think the approach, like I said, of we mastered this guitar sound with the bends, then we experimented to the brink of unrecognizability with OK Computer, Kid A, and Amnesiac. Let's see what we can do when we bring the guitars back fuse it with the sonic abilities that we discovered on the last three records and in some ways it's a great return um, while also allowing them to push forward in some uh, new exciting ways though a little bit more nuanced and subtle than they had been the last few records
1: didn't Um, the album leak it leaked it leaked 10 weeks before right yeah and that was the unmastered version Yes. So everyone heard it and they thought, "Okay, this sounds kind of dull. What's wrong with Radiohead?"
2: Right. What's going to happen? okay, mastered. they're still they're still working on it, but the thing that's interesting about it is like that raw sound is such a huge part of the album still. Um right. you know, I think the eternal question we can all we can discuss this further, but would this record benefit from better sequencing, some editing down of tracks to maybe like 10 or 11 songs? Absolutely. But then it wouldn't be so sprawling. It wouldn't be so interesting. It wouldn't feel like kind of a mid-career question mark in terms of where do we go forward as a band.
3: So Tom Tom York actually feels exactly the way you do. And it's the one album they have a little bit of regret to. And recently they did offer a edited down. I think they omitted three tracks and they, they shortened it with the right sequencing. I think they changed the order and everything. He feels like this is disjointed. So it's not just us the guy that basically drove the whole album feels the same way, but is I think both of you just nailed a bunch of great points. And that's why I'm happy to talk to you, Dave. I I agree with so many things that you said. Um, and Brian just, you know, this album for me is the ultimate hit or miss radio album. If I'm going to put on one or two tracks, I, I almost always go to hell to the thief and two plus two equals five. Go to sleep. Go to sleep is easily in my top five Radiohead songs. It's and I just crush it at incredibly high volumes. When the end kicks into full gear, I lose my mind. Um I know you Dave, you said you didn't like it, but you have a good sound system, put that song on and it's mind blowingly cool. Um, I mean sit down stand-ups, sail of the moon, there, there. These are songs that when I'm in the moon for radiohead, I'll kick on right away. And for me, that's kind of the way to listen to this album is when it it hits, they're like nuclear warheads of how awesome they are for the Radiohead sound. But this is the album that breaks the trend of being an album, hit start to play, go through the whole album, and it's mind-blowingly amazing. This is like, ah, this is kind of weird here after this song. I don't know about this. Like, this is the album that did that. I think in the in the way that you look at the sequencing of Radiohead, where it, you know, Amnesiac and Kid a go together as this techno sonic sound. What were you supposed to do after that? I mean, they they did two, 20 songs of that. Where do you go from there? And I think the response was to pick the guitar back up and that this is a big part of that song. And it also was really the first album, I maybe mean, not the first, but the best album, maybe in my opinion, of featuring Tom's incredible voice his voice is an instrument on this album he so many songs his voice is incredible and i i love that about this album the opening song two plus two equals five is used very often as a radiohead opener in the live setting we're gonna play it here i mean it is hands down one of my favorite i listened to it before we started this interview to get me in the mood for radiohead i mean it is an ass kicker uh, where Tom was kind of when they recorded this, so this is 2003, and I think as we touched about this album leaking, you know, 10 weeks early, you know, it's crazy as Radiohead is important with computers and technology, they've kind of mirrored, mirrored the way technology progressed. So you have an album leaking in 2003 and it's because they were so big that, you know, people wanted to hear this as fast as they could. But I mean, we, we have that now you can't keep anything, whether it's game of Thrones getting released earlier, but in 2003, that wasn't the case. I mean, things didn't leak. We didn't even know how to access half of that information. So I think that, it's kind of cool that Radiohead is like a great timeline to show how technology has progressed, and we'll see that even with the next album, especially how that was a revolutionary thing. So I think that's kind of a cool way to look at things. Um, I mean, Hell of the Thief, same way with Brian, over the years has really grown on me. It's I like this w- better than Amnesiac actually, um, because I think they both have disjointed. But the the highs for this album for me are just freaking incredible. So, um, you know, where Tom's headspace was, you know, he he denied having any attempt to make a political political statement. And he's quoted to say, I desperately tried to not write anything political, anything expressing the deep, profound terror I'm living with day to day. But it's just fucking there. And eventually you have to give it up and let it happen. So you can obviously see Tom's trying to figure out all this weird stuff that's going on in the world and that's kind of uh, an important theme for Radiohead. It also is an album that has uh, really their first kind of look at religion. And the idea of heaven and hell and good and evil is, is very prominent throughout this album. So, you know, this again, this is a, probably a little bit more disjointed than the other albums, probably even more than Amnesiac. But I, I really like the highs of this album as much as anything in the whole catalog. On that note, I think we got to listen to a jam from Hail the Thief. I think it was
1: pretty universal on this one. We had to play 2 plus 2 equals 5. Let's listen to that. Are you
0: such a dream?
2: So we are now four years past Radiohead's last album, Held to the Thief. Um, During this time, the band took a little bit of a hiatus, started writing some songs, brought them out on the road to road test them. And they surprise released a record that, in many ways has become one of the most revolutionary important records of the time in terms of its effect on the music industry and, um, is at some points my favorite Radiohead record at some points, uh, my favorite record of the last decade. And that is in rainbows from October of 2007. Um, just a quick diversion, a quick story. Uh, so the fall, 2007, uh, I was in, um, Europe for the semester, traveling abroad. It was the first time I'd ever been out of the country. Um, And I remember I woke up on just like the most perfect morning in Istanbul, jumped online, and saw that Radiohead had surprise released a record, and you could pay whatever you wanted for it. Uh, Whatever ill will that I'd had and felt towards the band since Hail to the Thief was immediately gone. I offered up 15 bucks, downloaded the record to my computer, and threw it on my iPod Classic went for a stroll around the neighborhood that I was staying in, and I blasted this record, just full volume. Um, I listened to it probably a hundred more times between October and December 2007 when I returned to the States. Uh, No other record defines my time overseas more than this. Uh, The hope that's filled in the leveling of the consumer-based art product, the return of one of the best bands of my time, the sound that fuses everything that they made to that point in a wholly classical sense, Just Enough Computers, an emphasis on the band in the live setting, the song Nude, which is an OK Computer outtake, recorded here 10 10 years later, the fact that Radiohead went from being an alternative rock band to one of the classic rock bands of our time, my three buddies who I was overseas with, we listened to this album constantly on the train, on bike rides through the Netherlands, walking home from the bar, wherever we were, we had this record playing. And what's more... It was like everyone in Europe was obsessed with this album at the same time. Every bar I'd go into, I'd get into a conversation somehow with a local who loved this record as well. The album sounds like globalization and a true marrying of cultures to me in the most idealistic way possible. And when I went back to Europe in 2016 for the first time, uh, I took the train from Amsterdam to Utrecht, and this was the first album I listened to. Um, Kid A may be my favorite Radiohead album And Yankee Hotel Foxtrot May be my favorite album of all time But there is a part of me That thinks that this is my favorite album Just because of how much it meant to me Of the 2000s And um, if nothing else Dave I think that we need to do an album Or an episode on our favorite albums Of the 2000s here soon But I love this album It's very near, very dear to my heart Um, What do you guys have to say about In Rainbows?
3: So I, I feel, so, you know, same thing, Brian, again, feeling with Radiohead, like, you know, he just talked about how this album makes him go back to a whole time period, how it makes you feel. And I have kind of that same within rainbows too. My Radiohead college buddies, this was the album we played in the car. And I remember being, in it and we just, we just sitting there like, I mean, this fucking album is unbelievable. And I think this album for me is actually the perfect radio album. Radiohead album. I think, you know, OK Computer is my favorite. Kid A is The Empire Strikes Back. It's like the opus, but for perfect, at the right time, the right album in Rainbows is it. It has everything that Radiohead is about. It has weird computer stuff, it has incredible ballads. 15 Step that kicks off the album kicks fucking ass. And it goes from there to another kick ass tune to Ballad. And it's again, it goes back to that. There's 10 tracks on this album and they are all perfect, all in the right spot. And to go from kind of that disjointed feeling of "Hail to the thief back to in rainbows where it was just they nailed it. This to me, I kind of, you know, Brian, you mentioned that Kid A kind of was all this creative. I feel like in rainbows took everything that they had done from the start of their career and they just figured out this is the perfect way to play it right now. And that's what Kid A, or I'm sorry, In Rainbows is for me. It's the perfect Radiohead album. Uh, Again, the whole, we've got to talk about the fact that this was a free album that you could basically, you you could get it for free. You could pay what you wanted. And this revolutionized everything in music. So if you weren't really following or younger at the time, this was completely different. Again, mirroring the technological advances, this was a digital stream you could take. And it completely threw the entire industry on its head. Trent Reznor was pissed. I mean, because some of these other bands, they couldn't afford to do stuff like this, where Radiohead was this juggernaut. And, you know, the thing, the other part about that was, their contract with emi had been up and emi kind of made them this offer and they didn't want any part of that they wanted creative control and they kind of said fu to emi that was a big part of them wanting to do the pay for what you want stream is to say we're doing what we want we're going to do this and you're going to all hate us and this is the way we like to do things and then actually emi at the same time released this huge box set that was all the first six radiohead albums to kind of say, oh, we're going to make all this money off you. So this was a huge thing going on between Tom and EMI and everything. And it was kind of an interesting time uh, time period. But, you know, I'm with you, man. This, this album is freaking awesome. Uh, Dave, you get in on this.
1: I think I recall distinctly I was riding in the back of a car driven by my wife's uncle in 2007 when my phone started to blow up. And it was about seven or eight people just saying, holy fucking shit, new Radiohead album, pay what you want. I thought, what? So I agree. I mean, I have plenty of friends who call this the best Radiohead album. And I don't disagree. I, I still think the Benz is my favorite. But in terms of being just like top to bottom, touching on everything to do well and settling into a really warm middle age. It's kind of hard to beat in rainbows because like you said, it's got the Corkers like two plus, no, God, it's got the Corkers like 15 Step, then Body Snatchers. It's got the classic ballads like Nude, like House of Cars, which is like a Radiohead slow jam. It's got All I Need, the other Radiohead slow jam. I mean, it's very, the album emits a pleasant warmth. And Radiohead, while excellent, is not exactly a band you think of as being really warm and cuddly. Whereas I just find In Rainbows to be very soothing and very complete. And I think I touched upon this earlier, but in terms of jam bands covering Radiohead, is that Humphreys McGee actually does a shockingly respectable cover of Weird Fish's Arpeggio which is not that easy to do. Make Radiohead uh, sound good by a band other than themselves. But, yeah, I'm trying to come up with ways to describe In Rainbows aside
3: from being warm and complete. and I, I actually really like that, to be honest with you. I think that's good.
1: Okay. Oh, one more thing I actually might say is that my least favorite song in the album, this is actually... One of the few Radiohead albums that I think doesn't end that great. I don't love videotape, not because it's not a good song, but the live versions that they played of it, which had a really cool kind of extended drum jam, got completely excised and they put it on the album. And I think that a better way to end uh, In Rainbows was after In Rainbows came out, they put out uh, an EP, I think just called like Rainbows 2, was it? Yep. Okay. That had basically the B sides in Rainbows that didn't quite make the record, like uh Down is the New Up, Up on the Ladder, Bangers and Mash. The last song on that album being Four Minute Warning, which I think was um the four minute warning being um like WW two with England, with, like the air raid sirens. That's actually a very touching, quiet, almost lullaby of a song. And I think if that ended in rainbows as opposed to videotape, it'd be even better than it already is. But that's is history, so.
2: I think one thing I love about this album is I think it might be the most full band Radiohead album that they've ever made in that it sounds live at times. You hear this band really connecting and really showcasing themselves from an instrument standpoint. Um, You know, there are songs like Jigsaw's Falling Into Place that on a different record would have been, you know, totally littered with computers and would have been much more focused on, um, you know, kind of beats and digitized sound. And here, like it opens with an acoustic guitar and you clearly hear the drums and you hear the band like playing essentially in a studio. You, You could imagine them playing that song live and... I think that that aspect of the record is really important for them as a band at that point in time in terms of, you know, you still have a lot of studio fuckery and like the record opens up with, you know, the, the drum beat from 15 Step that sounds like it could have been lifted off of, you know, any of their previous three or four records. But overall, you know, the fact that the band was proving themselves after accomplishing as much as they had from a studio standpoint or from let's mess around with the instruments or you know let's remove the instruments completely at times the instruments come back the band uh really presents themselves as a band and it comes across as kind of one of their more mature one of their more uh kind of sage records that they had made to that point in time
1: the album was very much made for the stage I know yeah. on the tour in 2008, I think they would open a lot of shows with um, with 15-step. And there was just a part in 15-step, I think, after um, there's a bass line. There's Colin Greenwood, the bass player, does his bass line after, I think, the second verse. And then when they would do that. The gigantic big LCD screens that they would have on stage would all turn on. The stage would be bathed in the light. So, I mean, in addition, I think my wife only saw Radiohead once in me. This is the All Points West Festival in uh, 2008 in New Jersey. And then I was like flipping out and she said, no, I thought it was great, but I expect Radiohead to have really high productions and av values so it was great but i'm not surprised like how could radiohead not have an incredible light show and i'm mm. like that wasn't a life-changing experience for you she's like it was very good <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay.
2: <laughs> well i think to your point about the fact that it sounds like a live or the, the songs are made for the stages you know they went on hiatus following hail the thief started making music again in 2005 they had unsuccessful sessions with spike stent and then they decided to tour in 2006 i think there's a bonnaroo headlining slot uh at that uh on, on that tour and they tried to work out songs that were half finished and the tour is us filled with future and rainbow songs um tom york once said that the band felt like they were 16 again playing these songs live without any stress or any expectation and when they got back from the tour late 2006 early 2007 they start recording these songs and they immediately come from that vibe of playing live.
3: There's, there is this album again is there's a bunch of cool stuff with it It is as far as another thing that I think with the bends, I think that's their most accessible album. I think this is number two and I tell people to listen to the, I listen, I tell people to listen to the bends to start and then go forward. But I've also heard people tell people to listen to The Bends and then get A and then OK Computer as far as albums to get you into Radiohead because this is very accessible. And I think one of the cool things I think we'll all agree on is, is, is Radiohead nerds as we are and all the weird things that we like, this album doesn't really have a ton of that. But yet it still feels like progressive Radiohead. Like it still feels like another leap forward, but it's yeah. almost a leap backward. And that's mind blowing to me that I feel like this was an incredible step forward, but they kind of went backward. And I just absolutely love the album. So it's
1: just really good songwriting. Yeah. It's a, cons- a consolidation of strengths, which showcased them as being excellent songwriters. They no longer feel the need to push the envelope, they're just settling into a very nice middle age. It's almost like if we're going to compare it to Wilco, this would be um, what, like Star Wars, Brian, would you say?
2: Yeah, something like that where like you hear the band kind of reconvening some old ideas, but also um, really settling into the fact that uh, they're in this new part of their career. They're elder statesmen at this point in time. They can kind of do whatever the hell they want. And as a result, you know, they, they want to just be a band, which which I really like. Um, I do think it's, it should be noted and, and Mike, you, you mentioned this briefly earlier. Um, this, this featured when this record was released, the way it was released did, did uh, garner some, some criticism and some of it slightly justifiable and the kind of results of what they tried to do, I think are mixed. I think it's important to note. Um, Trent Reznor said that it was a bait and switch for a MySpace quality stream for a record that is ultimately a traditional album release. Uh, and Kim Gordon said of uh, Sonic You e said it makes everyone else look bad for not just releasing a pay whatever you want record. Um, now, I think ultimately um, I'm, I'm on the side, I'm pro on the side of the band releasing the album the way that they did. I think that it was really fascinating in terms of how it connects a band to their audience directly. Um, but I think that the legacy of this pay what you want approach is kind of cloudy and it kind of signifies, you know, a, a in one way, this this new way for artists to reach and connect with their audiences, but it did so for an already insanely successful band while ultimately leading to the reorganization of the music industry around streaming services that essentially commoditized the pay-what-you-want approach in the sense that you just pay a flat rate every month, you get everything that you want from music, and you decide if you want to go ahead and buy it. Um, this did help to level the playing field for many artists to get heard, but... You know, you wonder in some senses from a uh, reward standpoint and how much money artists are making and how much harder they have to work for it. Um, you know, Radiohead came of age at a time when you could get a six-album deal from a major le- record label without being, you know, really anything whatsoever and get full creative freedom. It's harder to do that nowadays. So I feel like the result is, is, is a little bit murky. Um, there's some positives I'm in, in favor of. I also think... Um, it's unfortunate that the business of making music kind of took this idea and ran with it in a really cynical way.
3: I have um just a couple more things on in Rainbows and um this was uh the last one to make the radio or the uh Rolling Stone list at three thirty-six. Um so this is the last, it's the fifth highest rated on Rolling Stone. This um house of cards is an if you ever seen this video again this kind of parallels the technology with um radiohead it it uses um dot matrix placement so it it uses tom york and he's all these little dots it is a fascinating video very very friggin' cool all their videos are fantastic but this is that's probably my favorite it, it was it was revolutionary what they were doing with technology Uh, for that. So I just wanted to kind of get that in there real quick. I thought that was super cool. If you've ever seen that, check that out. What are we playing from this album? It's gotta be. with The
2: opener 15 step.
1: Oh, of course. 15 step. If you like this one, what was the one where they played with a brass band? Was that the Grammys?
2: Yes, I believe so.
1: Right. They had a brass band. They had like low brass sousaphone playing those bass lines. Word seeking out. Look it up on YouTube. For now, let's listen to the first song off In Rainbow's 15 Step.
0: I can run up where I started I not take my eyes off the ball again when you reel me out
3: from this incredible maybe high of you know the last album we're going into the seventh album which is the King of Limbs released in 2011 and Brian said maybe for him his uh, most you know anticipated album was you know Hail to the Thief this might have been it for me I, I was a little late to the Radiohead scene and was very very excited when King of Limbs came out And 2011, I feel like this is a part of my life where I was really starting to understand music a little bit more more and really appreciate the things that I was hearing that I loved. And certainly Radiohead was a big part of that to form how I viewed and listened to music. And then he also mentioned how, you know, sometimes you got to temper expectations. And when King of Limbs came out, it it was the first Radiohead album I had heard where I was like, yeah, that was okay. Uh, it's a little weird, I got to say. And I had mentioned this you know, a couple times throughout this podcast is Radiohead seems to know what, especially me, I, I feel like, knows what I want to hear before I ever hear it. And when I heard this album, I didn't know what to think about it. I did know that when Codex comes and it's in the middle of this weird lotus flower and give up the ghost, which is this weird kind of there's a lot of sounds going on there. When Codex drops as the sixth track in this album, it just at times stops. And I loved Codex from the first second. And I thought it was the most underrated Radiohead song that had ever been played. And recently it got its due on Westworld. And it was the final song in the season two finale with and it was just incredible when it was played at the end of that season with a lot of stuff going on and i was basically crying because this is a song that meant so much to me that i felt was completely unrecognized and it got its moment on this huge hbo audience and i was just it was amazing i went into work and i have friends that watch that show they don't know shit anything about Radiohead. And I'm like, did you freaking hear that? And they're like, I'm like, that was the best thing ever. And they're like, all right, that was cool. That was Radiohead. And so that was like a proud moment for me. But (laughs) uh, the King of Limbs overtime, kind of like Hail to the Thief, has really, really grown on me. It's only eight songs. And the brevity here, as opposed to Hail to the Thief, is kind of its weakness. It's almost too short. And, um, but I've appreciated over the years it's grown up. I mean, I, I listened to this album start to finish a lot. I think bloom is amazing. Morning. Mr. Magpie is incredible song live. It's just an ass kicker. And I love it on the album now a lot more because of that. Uh, Pharaoh Lotus flower is very famous for Tom York has a video where he's dancing during it. And it's just, it's pretty crazy. He's a a wild dancer. Some kind of looks like me at a fish show. (laughs) <laughs> and then uh, the closing song on this album is easily in my top five favorite Radiohead songs. And that's separator and separator. This is something I kind of wanted to touch on before Johnny Greenwood is their lead guitarist and really one of the most creative guitarists you will ever find. He will go through a whole song. And in this case with separator, probably about three minutes and almost play nothing. And then he will play one lick that lasts two or three seconds. And you sit there and you hear this thing and you're like, wow, that was brilliant. His timing of space and creativity is among my favorite things in all of music. Johnny Greenwood is Brilliant. Not to mention, I mean, we could go into all the things he's into with techno and different, you know, different things he plays. He's just crazy. You'll go to a a Radiohead song. He will play the guitar with a violin wand and he'll play it that way. I mean, it's just he's incredible to watch. He's also kind of a weird dude with the hair over his head. Like he's just a fascinating personality. And in separator, especially he comes in about three minutes with this song that carries or with this lick that carries to the end and separator just blows me out of the water. It is an amazing track and I just love the way that it wraps up King of Limbs. So for me, this was the album that came out. I was like, I don't really dig this. I don't. I mean, I love Radiohead. I feel like I should love this. Maybe I'm missing something. And I was. I was missing it. It came to me later, and it really speaks to me today. And I get most excited to listen to this album now because I feel like I'm still learning about it.
1: Uh, Yeah, King of Limbs is the first Radiohead album. We listened to it and think, wait, that's it? I mean, it's got only eight songs. It's under 35 minutes. It's by far the shortest record. And I think it's one of their most challenging, especially because of the emphasis on skittering electronics. I still don't love it. And I think that the best songs definitely comprise side B, being Lotus Flower, Codex, Give Up the Ghost, and Separator. And I agree, all those songs are fantastic. I think Codex is a national song. Like I hear Codex with the stately piano and the vocals, and I think Matt Berniger can cover this. Like, I think that's a phenomenal song. To me, that sounds like what I love from that band. I agree that Separator is totally awesome. And people forget this album actually came um, packaged. There was the standard. There was also a super deluxe version, which I think got packaged in like a newspaper. You could like unfold a newspaper. And I think it came out after the album itself. And fans assumed it would contain... All of uh, like B sides, kind of like the In Rainbows B sides. It did not, and people also thought that the word separator was like okay, that's because this is being separated from like a whole another batch of songs, which never really came to light. I think it could have improved the album if they put um the B sides, the Staircase and the Daily Mail, both of which released I think as part of um the same single. Those songs are awesome. So this album is also notable because this was the first time when um, Radiohead Live got an extra musician on stage. In order to play the challenging uh, beat-intensive material, Radiohead acquired a second equally bald drummer, kind of uh, like Phil Selway's Doppelganger, a guy with the name of uh, Clive Diemer, who's I think probably best known for being in the live band after the band Portishead as well as uh, he's part of a British jazz quartet called Get the Blessing. And because of these dual drummers, the King of Limb songs on side A were a hundred times better on stage, I think, than on the record. Like, I think this is one of those kind of like In a Rainbows, a record that really comes alive on stage when you see these two drummers just really in sync with each other, kind of banging out. It almost sounds like laptop beats. So... Certainly Gurami remember being a little pissed when this album came out thinking like this is the first Radiohead album where they kind of they kind of dropped the ball a little bit I don't really feel that way anymore but I also definitely do not listen to this one probably I listen to this one the least next to Pablo Honey
2: Yeah I would um I would say to equate this to uh, the other two bands we've done deep dives on, this is kind of like um, uh, that Wilco record, The Whole Love or um, U2's No Line on the Horizon in the sense that you can hear the band was working to follow up a really big album of theirs and a really good album of theirs um, with something that they might've tried a little bit too hard at or gone down a, direction or rabbit hole that they couldn't really find themselves out of. And as a result of it, you hear this kind of sound that kind of feels like a harkening back to kid A in some ways, but also doesn't feel fully fleshed out and sequencing wise. I don't know how much it totally works. Um, it contains some of my least favorite Radiohead songs, but it's also a record similar to hail the thief that has grown on me quite a bit in subsequent years. Um, I remember kind of sharing the sentiments you guys had when the record came out. I was super excited, had no reason to doubt that it wouldn't be another one of my favorite records of that year when it came out. And um, combination of like, they wanted to do another surprise release similar to in rainbows fell a bit flat. And the fact that it felt more like an EP than a proper full length record felt a little bit flat. Um, songs like, The Morning Mr. Magpie, Lotus Flower are just kind of there for me. They're not typically Radiohead songs I ever necessarily wanted to hear, nor that I really do like. Um, Some of the themes of the album when it first came out struck me as kind of trite and immature as if they'd never really gotten over the presidency of George W. Bush – which um, I, I myself haven't, um, but I kind of <laughs> didn't necessarily want to hear that within the record uh, for whatever reason. The fact that it was four years after this like other surprise release that I loved and all I could really muster was eight tracks. It, I, I, I soured on this record for a long time and similar to Hail to the Thief, I kind of stopped listening to Radiohead on a regular basis for a few years after this. And in the same way that In Rainbows kind of brought me back, when A Moonshaped Pool came out, which is the next record that we're going to talk about, um, suddenly the last three tracks in particular on King of Limbs made so much sense. Kodak's, um, Giving Up the Ghost, and Separator had become three of my favorite Radiohead songs. And that trifecta to end the album, that trio to end the album, along with Bloom, the opener, are just sonically i love what the band was doing there i love how diverse but connected those songs are um i then started hearing bootlegs from this tour and a lot of these songs sound really really good live um you know in the end i think for me with this record i wish that there'd been one more album to bridge in rainbows to Moonshape pool so we could kind of hear the other sounds of the evolution that was going through at this point um because it still does feel, in some ways, like this weird, incomplete sidestep or stepping stone during a nine-year period where we only really got one Radiohead record.
3: I think that's uh, I think that's a good point. Brian is just kind of that leap from 2007 to 2011. This kind of perfect Radiohead that was very accessible to I think King of Limbs might be as non-accessible as Kid A when you if you were just to start right into Radiohead it's weird and where this album comes from is Johnny Greenwood the guitarist and Tom York were going around in the DJ scene in California and they brought Nigel Godrich around and they they started DJing all over the place and it became this huge two-week experiment and basically what happened was it turned into fucking six months is what Tom said he said we started with two weeks trying to experiment and became six months and that's where this album came So it's based around a lot of DJ and rhythmic and kind of things that are going on with that whole scene. So it's a different, especially for us in the fish world, to go to the DJ scene, it's a little weird. But I feel like it's a giant step for them from In Rainbows, and I kind of like that. And that's kind of what's grown on me over the years. I kind of have a lot of the same feelings I might have had with Kid A, where I didn't really know what was going on at first. And now I just kind of really, really enjoy it. So.
1: So I think we thought universally from King of Limbs, we wanted to play a Separator. It's the last song. It's a gorgeous song. And I think earlier I said um, some people thought that Separator meant there was going to be more songs because the big kicker to this is Tom York saying, if you think this is over, well, you're wrong. Some people are like, he's being cheeky. There's a whole album that's coming out. That wasn't the case. But still, excellent song, excellent way to end the record. Let's listen to Separator off the King of Limbs. Number nine is A shaped Pool, which I believe was uh, released in Mother's Day of 2016. Is that correct? Yeah, because I remember being at a Mother's Day brunch and my phone started blowing up. You see a pattern here. I have lots of friends who like Radiohead and are willing to tell me about it.
2: A lot of surprise albums and our phones explode when they, when they uh, are
1: released. Right. I think... Hmm. Moonshade Pool, I think it's very good. It suffers from being a bit sleepy in some points. That being said, on the most recent tour this past summer, they managed to almost play the entire album on stage most nights. And as you will see with Radiohead, a lot of the themes is kind of taking what may seem to be sleepier songs on record and then when they imbue them with their incredible live show and live sound, they make them really fascinating on stage. That said, I don't really have a ton to say about this album other than the fact that I find it very pleasant and kind of a good elder states in record and that I think Radiohead may have finally reached a point where they aren't breaking a ton of new ground except that they're very good at sounding like themselves and the songwriting is very high quality and this album actually um i will say that full stop is one of their better examples of a very excellent like rock and kraut rock song Mm
0: -hmm. that's Mm -hmm. a
1: great song identikit is very slinky slinky sexy slow jam of a song and i really uh daydreaming kind of unfolds almost like origami with the really interesting Paul Thomas Anderson video as well to boot. But yeah, I mean, very, very good, very radiohead. Won't ever be the thing I reach for right away, but I still think it's a pretty impressive album to put out this far into their career. I think it's interesting that it
2: inherently sounds like a Radiohead record, but the main focus when you listen to it are are the strings, the ambience, this kind of rock symphonic, you know, uh, approach to it. The the strings dominate this record in a way that they don't on other records. And they almost use strings, especially on a song like Burn the Witch uh, in in almost like a digital fashion. It's a really cool marrying of this organic and acoustic sound that, is evident in a lot of really important parts of Radiohead, but also the digitized sound and that, that approach. Um, you know, I think it's, it's an interesting record in the sense that, um, much of it sounds like a response to York's dissolving relationship with his longtime partner, Rachel Owen, who would, um, pass away, uh, following a battle with cancer shortly after the album was released. Um, in addition to this, Neil Godrich's father passed away the day that they recorded the strings for Burn the Witch um, and the album was also dedicated to the band's drum tech Scott Johnson, who had died in a stage collapse in two thousand and twelve so there's a lot of death, there's a lot of sadness, there's a lot of mourning that's located on this record and you know at this point in time the band is thirty plus years into their career um twenty five years essentially as recording professional recording artists. And, you know, they're in their late 40s, early 50s. These these types of themes on a personal level are becoming um, a bit more prevalent. And and it feels much more of like an inward record for the band. Um, You know, it's interesting as well that the record is bookended by two tracks, Burn the Witch and True Love Waits, that go back to 2000 and 1995, respectively. So there's a lot of let's pull from... In the same way that nude was on uh in rainbows Um, there's a lot of hey we have this song that's been kind of kicking around lingering and it's never really fit any albums that we've ever put out why don't we throw it on this and it works out perfectly
3: yeah i think that's right on um this you guys you guys really hit on some really good things with this album for me the first thing I couldn't believe was that this was released in 2016. It's been three years. I feel like wow. I listened to this yesterday. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Am I, Okay, I, I wonder if I was the only one thinking that. And one of the interesting things um, that probably should we should talk about is right in the middle of uh, Amunshay Pool being recorded, they were asked to write a James Bond theme song. And they wrote the song called Spectre. And when they brought it to the producers of James Bond, they thought it was too dark. And yeah, because it was too dark, you honest, you obviously know, if you know me, that's why I think it's fucking awesome. It is incredibly dark. And if they had used it in James Bond, it would have been the coolest thing ever, but they spent all this time, Doing the, it has the same feel to a moon shape. Pull its strings and symphonic and amb, ambiance. Um, and this album for me is the quintessential. I think you guys said it. It feels like Radiohead. And in 2016, when it came out, it felt like Radiohead, and it still feels like Radiohead. And from start to finish, it's another great album of great. You know, from first track to last track, it all works together. And I think maybe more than any album this track works together as a this album works together as a whole but individually i don't think it's as strong and that's what i've learned about this album over the years i loved it when i i mean i played it probably 10 times in the first day back to back just wow this is great this works but i don't go back and listen to a lot of songs from this album when i'm just putting on radiohead i love burn the witch i really like duck stark present tense is absolutely gorgeous. And there's a, a great video with just Johnny Greenwood and Tom by a fire yeah. playing it uh, with acoustic. That's just, it's gorgeous. And I'm a big fan of that, but I just, it doesn't have like the real Radiohead ass kickers that I'm looking for. I mean, I just misses that a little bit for me, but it's a great symphonic full album and it's probably the album they made. They needed to make in 2016, But it's never going to be my favorite. I can tell you that right now. And I feel like I should like it more than I do. I mean, I certainly like it a lot, but it's never going to approach the status of the the heavy hitters for me.
1: It has a lot of songs that are heavy on atmosphere and sort of low on hooks, like Mm -hmm. The Numbers. um,
3: Which I I really like. Yeah, yeah, I hear you.
1: Yeah, it's good in context. Like, what's the second-to-last song? Tinker Tailor, Beggar, Soldier Thief.
3: Yeah. So, you know, yes. so, you know, a lot of us fish fans, we name our animals after uh fish names. So that's a good one. Right. If you're a Radiohead, you should name your pet Tinker, Tailor, Soldier, Sailor, Rich Man, Poor Man, Beggar, Man, Thief. Yes. That's a, that's a Radiohead song. <laughs> I mean, sometimes I get
1: Dex Dark confused with Desert Island Disc.
3: <laughs> so do you know, do you know that this album is actually listed in alphabetical order? Yes. yes. Okay, so that's also a really cool thing. I love that. They
2: like their... Which it works. The the, the sequencing of it actually works really yep. well, I think.
3: But there's another... They um, like their little Easter eggs, you know? They do.
2: I, um, I'm um, i going to fight for for this record. I love this record. Um, it was number three for me. Uh, my favorite record's of 2016, and it will definitely be very high for me this decade. Uh, I think it was a time and place record for me, similar to In Rainbows in that way. Um, it was... You know, a return for this kind of love affair with the band and threw me down a rabbit hole with them that coincided with my return to Europe for the first time that summer and I listened to a ton of Radiohead when I was in Europe and it just fit that period of my life really well and that scenery. Um, This also came out nine months after I became a dad. And this kind of like sleepy, dimly lit acoustic ambient nature to it just fit the way that I walked around through my days perfectly. Um, <laughs> you know, it just like sounds like the kind of record that you want to hear at five o'clock in the morning when you need something to soothe you and to soothe your child who is uh, not sleeping for the 10th day in a row. Um, daydreaming was one of my all-time favorite songs in 2016. Uh, one of my three favorite songs, I should say, of that year. Um, and it was this record that really helped me to appreciate Hail to the Thief and uh, to King of Lim- or The King of Limbs. Um, this just set me back in a deep dive into Radiohead, and um, I really attribute it in that sort of sense. I, I definitely don't disagree with a lot of what you guys are saying from a critical standpoint, and I think it's, um, you know, in, in some cases, this is kind of that first true record where we see Radiohead as a classic rock band beyond their days of revolutionizing the music scene, even though there's a lot of elements of that in in Rainbows and in The King of Limbs. To me, this will, you know, however many records they make, whatever their arc is, when this whole thing is completed, this is going to be like one of those unique mid-80s classic rock Records from like Dylan or like Neil Young In the sense that it experiment, it's experimental It's very personal And it holds up longer than You would think that it would
1: I would say this is more like Less than a weird Neil Young 80's record, I'd almost say this is more like Freedom or Ragged Glory Kind of
2: Okay, okay, yeah, that that's this fair is,
1: This is what the fans want This is what we know sounds good
2: This is not yeah. trans or uh, Everybody's rocky. right.
3: I think I've never even thought of it that way, but I think both of you kind of said it is it it pushed the envelope the least. And I never really thought about it till till you guys said that, and I completely agree with it. I think that's a intelligent take on this album. It's fantastic and it's radiohead, but I do agree I think all the other albums push it much more further than this one. I, I love that. Do we play a song from Moonshade Pool? I think we need to do that. Let's do that dex dark very awesome late bass line about three quarters of the song that i love i'll just point that out for you it's really cool
1: yes
2: Thank you so much for hanging with us. While we broke down the 25 year courting career of Radiohead. Um, just as a quick recap of the songs we featured, some fantastic stuff here from the band. If you are not a Radiohead fan and you listen to this entire episode, well, first and foremost, a huge ovation for you. But also, we hope that this gave you a, a bit of an intro into the band. If you are a longtime fan of Radiohead, um, we hope that this uh, we, we, we did some service for you in terms of all their records. So just a quick rundown of the songs that we featured. All this is going to go up on our Spotify playlist, as you know. Uh, segment one, we focused on Pablo Honey, played Blowout. Segment two, The Bends, Planet Telex. OK Computer, Paranoid Android. Kid A, we featured everything in its right place. With Amnesiac, we played Pyramid Song, Hail to the Thief. uh, You guys got 2 plus 2 equals 5. In Rainbows, we played 15 Step, The King of Limbs, Separator, and off of a moon-shaped pool, Dexdark.
1: Just a reminder, in terms of social media links, we're pretty easy to find. We're on Twitter at at underscore beyond the pond. That's one word slash Medium, beyond the Pond. And of course on Spotify there's the Spotify master playlist, the Beyond the Pond podcast songs, which we try to update you know shortly or at least within a day of uh, the podcast going live. We're also on Instagram. there's uh, the Beyond the Pond. Just search that and IG should come up. In terms of our publishing structure, generally speaking, we publish every other Tuesday. Sometimes we give you a little bit more, but uh, at the very least, we certainly try to stick to that.
2: Absolutely, and we are in a good stretch right now of lots of episodes being released here, so we hope that you guys are enjoying Going Beyond the Pond. Um, We want to thank our guest, Mike lawn memo minio for coming and joining us here and talking about radiohead mike this was super enjoyable man
3: i have been looking forward to this for a long time and it was quite satisfying much like that pretty girl that you finally get a date with uh, it was <laughs> flatter you know radiohead is very very personal to me and you know very emotional and just talking with you guys about how it makes you feel just like it does for me very, very awesome. Um, love the show that you guys do. love that you guys listen to this you 're doing a service you know i've learned a lot of uh, stuff you know a lot of music you've you've brought to my attention, which I try to tweet about when I find something cool from beyond the pond that they do it's pretty those guys are good i've met Brian personally, one of the really nice guys on the planet, so you know if you ever do get a chance to meet him he's he's worth the time you know getting to talk to. I feel like day is probably all right. I feel like we'd get along if we ever met, so <laughs> I look forward to that happening. Um if you do, um if you, you can just follow me on Twitter at Lawn Memo, I run the daily sound check, which you can find at the daily com, where we recap every fish sound check that has ever been played. we're about halfway through, so pretty cool stuff.
2: Yeah, well, I gotta you know I got to I gotta I gotta second that. I love your podcast. It's a really, really awesome deep dive into a part of uh fish history that Uh, somehow to this point has really gone unheralded. It's been disorganized in terms of how much people know about sound checks and how much people listen and communicate about them. And I've greatly enjoyed uh, following fish history in a totally new angle. So um, I I think you do a really good service there. And this has been a ton of fun, man. We are uh, all unified under the Osiris Podcast Network banner, and uh, good things are happening over here.
1: Yeah, Mike. Uh, thank you very, very much for coming on. I really enjoyed this. Really like the Daily Sound Chick as well. I would uh second that as being a fascinating podcast. And I yeah, really had a good time. It was um it flowed well and I'm not nearly as tired as I thought I would be, despite <laughs> it being twelve thirty four on the east coast.
3: <laughs> if you know so, me, I'm just waking up, so I'm fine. Ah, okay. I'm just not getting
1: <laughs> ready to go to sleep. <laughs> On that note, if you've listened to this point this far, we say thank you very, very much for tuning in. And come back in two weeks. We will hold hands. We will fight our fish myopia. And we will go beyond the pond. <laughs>